What do editors want? It's a question that many creative writers have asked themselves or more likely muttered dejectedly after a frustrating rejection. I'm Rachel Thompson, author and literary magazine editor and your podcast host. The Lit Mag Love podcast grew out of my course by the same name, and I continue to seek out answers to this question of what editors want by going right to the source. I bring you interviews and insights about how to improve and publish your writing. Blanket Sea Arts and Literary Magazine features work created by people living with chronic illness, mental illness, and disability. There aren't many places where writers and artists with illness and disabilities can express themselves in a safe, open, and welcoming space, as they write on their website. We want Blanket Sea to be that space. The journal publishes weekly from January to March and July to September, so they're doing three months on, three months off kind of thing. And Blanket Sea wants you to submit your writing and art that is evocative, provocative, and tells a story inclusive of creators from all backgrounds, orientations, identities, and ethnicities. And my guest today, Alana Saltz, is a writer, freelance editor, and writing instructor in Seattle, Washington. She's the founder and editor-in-chief of Blanket Sea magazine. Much of her work revolves around writing about her personal experiences with chronic and mental illnesses. She's a vocal advocate for disability awareness and rights. And Alana received her MFA in writing from Antioch University, Los Angeles. And her work has appeared in the Washington Post, the LA Times, the Huffington Post, Words, Dance, Moonchild Magazine, Rust and Moth, Oculum, and more. Welcome to the Lit Mag Love podcast, Alana Saltz. Thank you for having me, Rachel. It's my pleasure. I, I want to just get right into the mission of Blanket Sea and ask you why you created a space for writing about chronic illness, mental illness, and disability. So after being in the literary world for many years as a student, a writer, freelance editor, I had noticed there was really a shortage of options when it came to getting work published about topics like illness and disability. And that was especially true when we launched Blanket Sea in January 2018, which doesn't seem that long ago, but really a lot has changed in the past year and a half when it comes to getting more visibility on these issues. But certainly back then, there were limited options, and only certain publications really broached those subjects. And I think even the ones that attempted to do that sometimes published dangerous and misleading material, often with ableist language, sometimes intentionally, or maybe not so much intentionally, but it's hard to say, really. But there's been a lot of misinformation. So as a writer, especially, I felt that my options were limited when it came to finding a good home for work on those subjects. And I didn't want to write for or support publications that mishandled representation and inclusivity. So um, since I was also somebody who had worked as a freelance editor and had experience as an editor on several literary magazines, I was hoping to create a unique and inclusive space that was overseen by someone who not only had experience in the literary world, but also had lived experience with chronic illness, mental illness, and disability. And I'm also pretty active and receptive to the disability advocacy community. Nice. And, and right on the website that Blanket Sea looks for submissions that are evocative, provocative, and that tell a story. 
Can you tell us more about the qualities of work you'd like to publish? You know, now that you've carved out that that space, what are what are the things that you're looking for in submissions? Uh, sure. So we're drawn to work that really delves into the experiences of illness and disability, especially if it's done in a way that can bring new awareness or understanding to those experiences and, and those issues in a larger sense. And we also tend to be drawn toward work that is somewhat polished and that the writer has at least clearly spent time considering and refining. If, if something's full of typos or has weird formatting, it's probably not going to be a great fit for us. Uh, that said, if the work is compelling and resonates with us, we definitely embrace new and aspiring writers. And so, if, you know, if a piece is almost there and just needs a few tweaks, I'll discuss that with the author and work with them if they're open to that kind of feedback. And, you know, we don't pay a lot of attention to things like publication history or credits. We really want to be inclusive and not be a space that feels elitist or intimidating. We aren't, like, specifically looking for one type of voice or one style, if, if the work illuminates an issue or causes an emotional response or brings a fresh perspective or shares a unique experience in a compelling way, we're very interested in that. I love hearing that you're embracing those new and aspiring writers and, and working with them. That's such a rare and wonderful gift. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's really important because writers need to get their start somewhere and if they're just closed out of all of those opportunities they're going to get discouraged and especially people who might be living with disabilities or having fewer opportunities to maybe take classes or things like that because of systemic issues we also want to be sure that we provide them a space and we provide them as much resources and editing as we can. Well, that's just wonderful. I wanted to follow up a bit on what you said about um, dangerous and misleading material and sort of the environment that you're talking about in way back, what feels like way back in, in uh, just a couple of years ago, really mm -hmm. now. And I noticed that you include a list of ableist language and alternative words that can be used on the website for, for Blanket C. And I guess apart from works with this kind of language, are there any qualities of pieces that you'd rather writers not submit to Blanket C? I guess I'm, all, I'm still referencing those publications that got it wrong and, and Blanket C is responding to. What are some of the things maybe that you've seen there or seen in your submissions that you'd rather not have submitted to the journal? Uh, well, we've definitely leaned more towards work around experiences of illness and disability um, because that's the bulk of our submissions and the work that often needs a good home, um, though we're open to work on other subjects. We obviously don't want work that is misogynistic, um, ableist, includes gratuitous violence or assault, you know, that, that kind of thing. And if there are pieces that include any sort of research component or discuss uh, any form of entertainment or media, we want to make sure that the facts are being presented correctly and that there isn't any kind of you know, bias or misrepresentation of a particular issue or population, you know, that kind of thing. And you, you mentioned a bit already about what writers should expect when their work is accepted by you that you that you will work closely with them. Do you make a lot of developmental suggestions or, or how much how often do you do that, I guess, is the question. I tend not to do that a lot. Um, some of the editors also will will give input on certain pieces, but uh, you know, running Blanket C is definitely a labor of love for me and the other editors. So, editing each piece beyond a quick copy edit would make this 
pretty difficult, but we definitely do. Like if there's a piece that's almost there or there's just a couple of grammatical things that need some changes or we have a suggestion for one line in it that, you know, maybe isn't quite working with the rest of the piece, we can always float that by them and they can decide if they are interested in changing it. And most of the time they're like, oh, I, I like that better. But, you know, we, we don't want to mess with people's voices or their style or really their content. It's It's usually more if there's kind of little grammatical tweaks or just very minor content changes. But I, I like to go with pieces that are pretty close to being finished. And I, I think that's best for the authors as well. Nice. And you're clearly someone who spends time thinking about and improving your craft. You have an MFA and you, and you teach workshops as well. Has editing with Blanket see changed your writing in any way? Oh, that's a good question. And I, I think it's helped me hone my sense of what kind of writing is engaging and the kind of narratives and, and poetry and artwork that I believe and hope will also be engaging for our readers. And you know, making the decisions of who to publish is really difficult since we have limited slots and a lot of submissions to choose from for each spot. So I end up with a lot of maybes, which is, you know, work that has something that resonates there, but you know, maybe it has a strong image or an interesting theme, but the larger piece isn't quite grabbing me or has some lines that are more expected or have cliches. But I think just like reading a lot of books helps you become a better writer, reading a lot of submissions does something similar in developing my own writing style and analyzing what seems to work in other people's writings or, you know, at least in mine and our editor's perspectives. Yeah, for sure. I, I asked that question because I agree so much with that. Reading submissions, you're forced to question yourself, even like, why don't I think this works? What is it mm -hmm. that doesn't work about this? Or what is it that does work? Yeah, definitely. And you talked about your experience with chronic illness, mental illness, and disability. What's been the impact for you personally on breaking the silence on the stigma of, of those things? And what impact specifically has it had for your own writing too? Well, breaking the silence has always, pretty much since I was a teenager, been my goal as a writer. So even like the practice novels I wrote as a teenager tended to delve into subject matter like mental illness and complex romantic relationships, coping with trauma. Uh, my MFA thesis was a memoir about my experiences with chronic and mental illness. And I appreciate that I've had as many opportunities as I have to get writing about illness and disability published. And I appreciate that as time goes on, there seems to be more openness around publishing those works, though with that comes inevitable missteps and ableism and you know, inspiration porn kind of things, whether that's intentional or accidental. But for me, it's just really essential to write about these issues and do what I can to bring awareness because illness and disability have had such a big impact on my life in so many ways. And I've felt misunderstood since I was a child. I've seen that in the community as well, and the misunderstanding seems to be completely unnecessary. I think sharing our experiences brings understanding and empathy that being quiet about what's going on is, is not going to accomplish. How, you know, how much of this were you able to read growing up? Because you're, you're talking about things having changed now, but did you find the stories that resonated with you on, you know, in, in communicating and, and creating community, I guess, around illness and disability growing up? 
I would say not usually. I remember there were a few memoirs that I happened to find or some young adult novels that dealt with those kind of issues. And Girl Interrupted was definitely influential in my own memoir writing and just feeling like, oh, you know, maybe people have an interest, even though the, the movie obviously was a bit sensationalized version of what the actual memoir is. But it, it was it was hard. I didn't really feel like I had a community and the bit of community I did have was I, I went to an alternative high school that was like a hundred students and all of us were dealing with some kind of mental illness, physical illness. Um, some people had you know, drug and alcohol addictions and things like that. So I tried to connect with my peers who were living with similar issues, but yeah, in terms of finding an online community or a literary community that really encouraged or embraced writing about those things that, I didn't find that until pretty recently. And you're creating that too with with Blanket Sea. That's the hope. Yeah, the yeah. Hope. I wanted to ask you even if you had some specific examples of pieces that have really resonated with you and, and given you that sense of community already through publication. I mean, really every piece has given me a new understanding of something and, and shown me a little world that I didn't know before. And it's it's really been an honor to publish everything. And, and some of the pieces have opened new dialogues on, on Twitter and people having conversations and sharing. Uh, just a couple recent pieces that sort of stand out to me. Um, I think Tiffany Promise's short story, Deforestation and Other Side Effects, was just her voice is so unique and her writing is very visceral and immersive and just unexpected in in really interesting and fascinating ways and i I think she does a good job using a distinct narrative voice to build a world that's it's like our world but not quite and i it also has a poetic quality that i think is just really stunning um and i also wanted to point out uh, kate garrett her poems, um, Refuse and Spectrum. I, I also think she does a great job with using unexpected and unique language. And it, it's it's somewhat narrative as poetry, but it's also very lyrical and thought-provoking without being overly direct about what the poems are about. It, it gives readers room to interpret. Lovely. And, and you mentioned that you're finding more and more space to be able to write, because you write memoir essays and poetry yourself. And I wanted to talk to you specifically about a piece you wrote for Bustle about how videos that trigger ASMR, that's Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response for people who don't know, or brain tingles, they're also called too, (laughs) and and how those helped you heal your anxiety. And you just kept falling down the rabbit hole of these YouTube videos that have those soft-spoken voices, whispering accents, crinkling writing sounds, keyboard typing, all those Mm -hmm. things. So... I've seen more and more writers, and and I'm excited to talk to you about this because myself included, and I've really never spoken to anyone, I guess, from the literary community too, who's also experiences ASMR like we do. And I always feel like it's like I'm a cat that's purring and responding to some kind of gentleness is how I would describe it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I recently read that it could be a kind of synesthesia is what they're thinking now. And do you think because we're both writers and we're both have, have this experience of going down the rabbit hole with all this too, do you think there is a relation between ASMR and writing? Is it connected somehow to how we tune into the world as writers? Have you met other writers who, who have this experience? 
I, I've met a few other writers. I, I do, I think more writers than not have been the people that I've met who at least know about ASMR if they aren't, you know, active. I don't know what the term would be, receivers of, of ASMR. <laughs> but um, it's, I think it's a really interesting question. And I really like talking about ASMR too, because it's such a strange thing. And if people aren't familiar with it, they should just look up ASMR on YouTube and you'll know pretty much all you need to know about it. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if there's a direct relation in terms of writers or creatives or anything that would be quantifiable. I, I know I'm a very sensitive person when it comes to my senses and obviously my emotions as well. So I, I, it's probably not surprising that I'm affected by ASMR. And those are traits that I utilize in my writing, being sensitive and perceptive and, you know, trying to be empathetic. Uh, I, I believe I have a heightened awareness of the world, possibly as a result of things like fibromyalgia and anxiety disorder, which can often heighten senses and perceptions of things like pain. But also because I, I try to be curious and I, I like to question and observe and relate to the world through my writing and my life in general. So yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if creative people are more sensitive to ASMR because of how they relate to the world and immerse themselves in it. Or it could also be that the traits that draw people like us to the arts align with that kind of response to sensory details. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I think that's very astute. Thanks for going there and sharing yeah. that with me. <laughs> Is there anything else that you would want writers to know before they submit to Blanket C? Uh, sure. So uh, it, it's free to submit and it's free to read the publication and there's no ads that are going to pop up and be, you know, triggering or upsetting. So I, I, we really try to be inclusive on all aspects of the, the process from, you know, we don't want any closed doors. Like you can read it for free, submit for free. There aren't ads or anything bothering you for your email or information. Uh, but I, I also really encourage writers considering submitting to Blanket C to read some of the work that we've published, which is always a good idea when you're submitting to a literary magazine, but it's not something that everybody necessarily takes the time to do. But I, I think especially for us, because we're sort of a specific kind of publication with a specific mission, it, it's really important to get a feel for who we are and the kinds of things that we publish. Although even if it's not along those lines, we're still interested in, in seeing it and considering it because, you know, we're not just about one voice or one style. And, you know, it can definitely be tedious to do the research when you're submitting work out. And that's one of the reasons we don't require a cover letter. We want the submission process to be accessible, but it's also not a good use of anyone's time for a writer to submit work that doesn't follow our, our mission or our guidelines and for us to have to reject that work. Um, and I also wanted to mention our response time can vary because of our publication schedule, as well as our editors having personal needs and, you know, health needs of our own. Um, so we, we do have to balance that, but, uh, we just ask writers check in if they haven't heard back in three months and we welcome simultaneous submissions as well as, uh, previously published works. Yeah, that's great. And I noticed that you pu you're publishing weekly from January to March and July to September. How, how do you keep on top of a schedule like that? That seems kind of intense too. Yeah, it's, it's been a, when I first launched Blanket Sea in 2018, I initially wanted to do it weekly, just all year round, but after a few months, it turned out to unsurprisingly be a bit difficult to keep up with and difficult for our editors to keep up with. So we're, we're still experimenting a bit. This is the first year and our second year now we're trying to do this 
three month on three month off uh, process. So, so far it seems to be working okay, um, but we're still working out the kinks in that uh, process. But we do really try to let people know either way about their submissions within a few months and schedule things out a bit in advance. So hopefully we'll, we'll figure that out and, and make it a smooth process. How do, can people connect with you or how, how would you like people to connect with Blanket C and with you? So you can visit Blanket C's website and that's, you know, the publication is entirely online, although we have some thoughts about potentially doing an anthology in print, but we're still talking about that. Um, so the website is www.blanketsea.com. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at Blanket C, and I believe we're on Instagram, although not super active. I think I believe that's at Blanket C Mag, and on Facebook is Facebook.com/slash/Blanket C, and you can connect with me on pretty much every platform under my name Alana Saltz, A L A N A S A L T Z, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Alana Saltz or facebook.com slash Alana Saltz. And I also have a website, alanasaltz.com. Lovely. Thank you so much for spending time with me today and sharing your Lit Mag love with us. Thank you so much, Rachel. I really appreciate it. So that was my interview with Alana Saltz of Blanket Sea. And there is so much goodness I think we can pick up from the interview for people who are living with illnesses and disabilities and who would like to submit to the journal. I think one of the best things we can glean from that is that they're really open to publishing new and aspiring writers, and they will work with those writers to bring a piece home. Now, obviously, as she pointed out, you don't want to send in something that's full of typos or has weird formatting. It has to be somewhat polished and refined. So you get it as, as great as you can make it, and then they will be flexible about working with emerging writers and helping them bring a piece home. And another thing I think that was really important to note, like most editors, Elena encourages you to read and get to know the journal before submitting. And the journal is free, it's totally accessible, they don't require cover letters, there's no charge for submitting, no charge to read it. And so it's really important for you to read the journal. And I say that, I want to kind of harken back to earlier in the interview too, when we were talking about what we learned as editors and how much you learn about writing from reading submissions. You also, as a writer, are going to learn so much more about writing from reading the submissions that make it into the journal, reading a few different submissions and get a feel for the distinctness of the pieces, but yet the similarities, maybe things that might work together to make the piece a beautiful thing about their submission practice is that they're not looking for one type of voice and one style, but they are looking for experiences of illness and disability. And obviously, I think this goes without saying, for every journal that I've had on the show, they're not looking for misogynistic, ableist, or gratuitous violence or sexual assault in the piece. Interesting to note though, that she also mentioned that she wants the facts to be presented correctly. So there's a bit of fact checking, I think, going on at this journal. So I think that's something to be aware of, especially when you're dealing with events, historic events, or, or you know, things that have recently unfolded that are public events. Lit Mag Love is co-presented by Room Magazine, literature, art, and feminism since 1975, and the Lit Mag Love course, an online course to get smart, fearless, and published with lots of help from me. Sound editing for the episode is done by Micah Lemiski, and I'm your host, Rachel Thompson. 
If you want to give us some love in the form of a review wherever you get your podcast, we would love that and it really helps other writers discover the podcast. You can find us online at litmaglovepodcast.com or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at litmaglove. Thanks for writing and reading literature and thanks for listening to Litmag Love.